Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. this morning as we conclude our canceled series uh, I believe and this just might be my personality this has been one of the best series that we've had um, because we've been touching on things that are sometimes difficult and if you missed any of them so this is our third week Eli did a great job two weeks ago opening up with uh, race uh, and then last week he preached about politics and so if you missed any of those I highly suggest going back into our podcast and um, and listening to those. And so, happy Mother's Day. This thing closed on me, so I had to show my face. Um, yes, happy Mother's Day. And uh, like I mentioned before, we're going to talk about gender, and we're going to talk about sex. And uh, I mean, why not? All of our moms are in the room. Let's just get it done and over with, right? Um, but before I do that, I want to lay out some foundational pieces that I just, I just want to say um, because we're going to go really deep into this. And the first one is, is that if you read scripture, scripture makes it very clear that he detests sexual immorality. It is a sin. It is something that he, uh, he really does hate. And I think the church has been very loud and clear about the homosexual sin. And what we've done is we've been kind of quiet and not so clear about heterosexual sin. And so I want to make this abundantly clear that sin is not something that God plays around with. And our heart isn't to just poke at a particular sin, but I wanna lay the, found, the foundation that all sexual immorality is detestable by God. It's egregious to his holy nature. And so with that, I also want to say, and uh, just to make clear that I do see that culture has kind of erected this idol of sex. And while it worships at its feet as it's obsessed with sex, I think what the church has also done is we're just aware of it and we're screaming about it. And so we're equally as distant or as close to it, we're equally as aware of it. But, but the question is, as the church, are we demolishing that idol in our lives first and then being used, being available to be used by God in somebody else's life? And so. Um, we're going to be going into a little bit of this. We're going to be talking about then now what does sex and gender look like in the Word of God. And one last thing specifically to the church then is, is as, we look of, as we look at this in Scripture, my prayer is that we see Christ. One of the things that Jesus often did with the Pharisees is he rebuked them because they searched the Scriptures and they couldn't see him. And that is not my heart today, to search scriptures and to miss Christ. And I believe as we do that, we'll actually then be what God has called us to be, and that's to be the church, not the culture. Because culture says to cancel, but Christ says to redeem. Culture says to embarrass, Christ says to restore, okay? So, let's do this, okay? We are gonna go into a scripture, and it's Matthew 19, three through 11, okay? And this is what it reads. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, 
Is it lawful for a man to, to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made the heaven, or creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're not, no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And this is, I know this is a little lengthy, but follow me here. I'm gonna talk on all this. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. So Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So if I haven't been canceled yet, I'll probably be canceled from the title, but I couldn't not use this title, okay? And so the title of the sermon is Don't Say Gay. Don't Say Gay. And I know that's controversial, but just follow me, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your scripture. God, I thank you for your spirit that's here available. Lord, I pray that um, you would use me just simply as a vessel. God, may my, um, the meditation of my heart and the works of my hand be honoring to you. God, as we look into your word and as we look and see Christ, Father, and as we do, may we continue to be transformed into the likeness of your son. We love you. And in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So does anybody remember what the word gay used to mean? It used to mean happy, right? You would say if you were going, like if you were excited, oh, I'm so gay, or if you were leaving, your parents might, might say, hey, have a gay time. But does anybody actually use the word gay for happy as a synonym anymore? No. No, it's not. But what about, how about this? If I were to come to you and say, hey, can you go put the trunk in my trunk? A lot of you guys would probably go out and go look for a tree trunk and like shove it in the back of my car, right? But what you maybe didn't consider is that I have this severed elephant nose and I wanted you to put it in the box in my attic. All of those mean trunk. All of those mean trunk. And as time, our words change, and the meaning of our words change, and I know this is ruffling feathers, but currently in our day and culture, gender does not mean sex. And as ruffling that as that is, understand that that is what our children are being educated as, or in, because this conversation started in the 60s. So 30 years before I was born, a divergence of gender and sex started happening. And I feel like that as we've clung to that understanding as a church, we've sidelined our ability to sit at the table to have a conversation with people that are understanding of this and see it this way, and we've silenced our voice. And so, not unfortunately, but unfortunately for some people, people see this as, you know, an issue. There is no point in our world today or forward that the word sex and gender will be synonyms anymore, okay? So we need to have an understanding of this, and I want you to have a understanding of this, because again, we're gonna dive into it, but let's talk about the definitions then, okay? So sex, we, everybody majority believes that that is the biological aspect of our bodies, right? So we're gonna talk a little bit about sex, don't get so creeped out, but okay, sex, 
That is male and female. Everybody understands there's a biological sex. There is no um, other sex. There's no like alien other sex anatomy figure out there. But there are people that you wouldn't that are defined as intersex that might have different um, anatomy things. Um, and so sex everybody gets, but gender. Gender is now understood as a psychological, a social, or a cultural aspect of being female and male. And so this is where we get the things about masculinity, femininity, and we can get gender stereotypes, so on and so forth. And so what happens is sometimes people have a sex, but they are not in, in alignment in their gender with their sex. So what does scripture say about that? How do we have a conversation as Christ followers? How do we have a conversation with somebody? And can I tell you, the scripture is relevant and will always be relevant. And so we have to do our work though. We can't just be, you know, a scripture a day Bible readers and say that we understand scripture. We need to learn and study and get wisdom on scripture. Scripture, And so that's in part what I'm gonna help with today. And so what does the Bible say? Well, if we look back then now at Matthew 19, we're gonna read through this. And he says specifically in Matthew 19, 4, haven't you read... He's talking to Pharisees and disciples, Jewish men, boys. They grew up reading and studying the Torah. Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? He's talking about Genesis. Okay, so now let's go to Genesis then, and let's look at that specifically. It says in Genesis 1, through 27, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping that creeping thing that creeps on earth. Now pay attention to this. God repeats this, and whenever he repeats something, it's kind of, it's almost as if he's like, these humans might be a little dense sometimes, so we need to like really nail this point in. So he says, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So three different times. And so I feel like this is abundantly clear that God makes abundantly clear in creation that he made them male and female. And so our male and our female, our biological sex, is God-made. And if it's God-made, our male and female biological sex is an important aspect of our human identity. Because that's what we're talking about. People are confused about their identity. Okay, so as God has made you male and as God has made you female, that is an important aspect of your human identity. So our sex bodies, our sex bodies are crucial to the image-bearing status that we carry as, humans be as human beings, okay? We are the only part in creation that bears God's image. And so even in our sex differences, as we bear God's image, doesn't that make a case for how we then use our sex bodies? that we should care for and we should use our bodies to glorify who we bear image of. And so our sex bodies and what we do with our bodies are important. And I think if you then read further into scripture, dive into it, you'll see that Paul, the other writers of the New Testament, he'll go into this as well. And so we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And he says, if you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God, are you, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And as you read some more of Paul's um, writings, he often goes back and forth between you and body, you and body. And so he's talking about the meaning 
this, this integrated meaning of who you are. He's not talking about just about your thought life or your, you know, your, your internal sense of self, but he is saying that what you do with your body is important. How you use your body, your sexed body is important. And this flies in the face of current culture right now that says that I can do whatever I want, I want with my body, that sex is just sex. It's not that big of a deal. It flies in the face of my body, my choice. It does. That is, that's a lazy and illogical belief system for a Christian who says that they identify with Scripture in that God has created us. And because as you, as you come to the revelation of who Jesus is and as you submit your life to him, you are not just submitting your thought life. You're not just submitting your intentions. You're not just submitting your, your emotions when you're having a bad day. You are submitting your entirety of life. And if you cut this, if you cut this up on YouTube, it's going to sound real bad. But it's, it's more like my body, his choice, right? I know it's so cliche. I don't, it's not even in my notes and I didn't want to use it. But... That's essentially what Paul is saying. And if you read anything more of Paul, we'll read another one, you'll read, you'll see this very clearly. And so we have to surrender all of our life to Christ, okay? And so this is the main point that Paul has in his teachings. And it says, or it is, that what we do with our bodies is not morally neutral then. And it, and it falls right in line with the earlier teachings that Eli even had on, on race and politics. What we are doing, whether we vote, whether we speak, whether we interact with people, whether we have uh, deep, intimate relationships, what we do in those contexts are important and they're not morally neutral, okay? And so Romans 12:1, he further uh, nails this point into the coffin where, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, worship is one of the most important aspects of Christianity. And it's interesting that Paul urges the sacrifice of our bodies. As if, again, what we do with our bodies is not just um, this, uh, this internal emotional aspect. He's not introducing some more holier-than-thou way to lift your hands or to jump or whatever, how, you, you know, how we, in our, in our minds, think how we're supposed to be worshiping. But he, he shows that as we use our bodies, they are in fact integrated into that deeper and inner part of who we are. And so as embodied souls, we cannot nor should we try to separate the real us from the embodied us. And that's tough. Why, what's going on then? What's going on in culture? What is go, why, why are people trying to do that? Well, there's actually a lot of reasons. And if you look into it, you'll be amazed um, as to the varying degrees of reasons, I would say. Because if you remember, again, that sex and gender are no longer synonyms, um, you have a lot of people, okay, yeah, we, we understand we're good with this sex. Sex is binary, right? But gender is non-binary. Well, it stems from, from the fact that there are varying degrees of individuals on this, um, honestly, that are living with either uh, maybe different chromosomes that might you know, express themselves in different anatomy uh, parts. You have people that are uh, actually, it's more, maybe they have the full anatomy, there's nothing wrong with their chromosomes, but there are things in their mind um, that aren't connected. 
Um, a lot of people are suffering from gender dysphoria, so it is this real aspect of, of this mental incongruence, right? And you'll hear this word incongruence, and it's, it's basically this distance between this idea of self and this ideal of self. And there is a distance there. And there are people that truly struggle with this, that they, it, it feels like, I've, I've heard people talk about it, how it feels like poison running through their body with the idea that they, they have to uh, live as they're sexed as a male or a female. But then you also have people that are just simply confused. Um, does anybody remember puberty? <laughs> I mean, there are people that are just confused. What is going on with my body? And then you have people that are cultural, where it is culturally now more accepted. You are more celebrated and loved in, in this community of trans. So the people that are varying in their degrees of, of their gender and sex, there is this huge umbrella of trans where you'll, you do have people that are confused. There, there might be, quote unquote, I guess legitimate, some, some people would say legitimate reasons why they can be under this camp, but then here's some illegitimate reasons why they can be under this camp. And so that's, that's where I feel like the church has failed, where this umbrella of trans, this umbrella of, of people that can be accepted in the community is so large. You can, you just say you're trans, you're trans. Like, I, you don't have to prove it. You, there's no, what is proving? But my question to the church is, is Christ's love, if, is Christ's forgiveness, is his umbrella large enough to receive people that might be struggling with something, to receive and to love somebody that might be confused? And there's a, there's a Christian psychologist, Mark Yarhouse. He has done a, a lot and extensive research on this, and he says that if you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person because their stories are so different. And I think back to my question is, is Christ's umbrella of love and forgiveness big enough? I think everybody would theologically say yes, right? Like Jesus died for everybody. For God so loved the world, the world is everybody. But I want to press on your heart to ask this question for you. Is the Christ in you big enough? Is the Christ, is Christ's umbrella of love and forgiveness for all people, is, is he in you big enough? to look at somebody, a human being, that is either struggling or confused or even fighting on this matter, to look at them the way, again, Christ does. And so many of you know our son Winston, right? Maybe you don't. But if you look at him, you'll notice that he has really long hair, okay? And uh, the dude refuses to cut his hair because <laughs> we've tried bribing, we've tried convincing he will not cut his hair, um, because of the story of Samson. So when he was little, we talked about Samson, and he is convinced, he is convinced that if he cuts his hair, he's going to lose his strength. He's like, no, I want to be strong like Samson. And so <laughs> it's adorable, right? Well, when you take them all to the store, um, I'll just share my story. So uh, it's not adorable when you have to experience this, and I'll show you this experience. I took them all to the store one time, they're all, you know, going crazy in the cart. And this older gentleman, he comes up, and he's super sweet, and he's like, oh, all of your girls are so pretty. And I didn't think anything of it, but I was just like, oh, he's a boy. Like, I, I didn't think, I, I wasn't mean. I, oh, he's a boy, you know. And he, like, and this gentleman, he was taken back a little bit, and he turns from me, and he starts talking to Winston, actually. 
And he's like telling Winston that he needs to cut his hair so he's not a girl. He didn't say so he's not looking like a girl or confused like a girl, but I remember even in that moment thinking how ridiculous that sounded of like, okay, just because he doesn't have long hair, like I know his genitals, <laughs> like I changed his diaper, like he's not, and Winston wasn't confused by it either, but I remember even in that, thinking in that moment, I'm like, okay, that sounds ridiculous, right? But can I ask you, is there any part of ridiculousness in our idea of man and woman that we hold on to that's like, ah, uh, I don't think that's actually what you're trying to say. Um, because our gender norms or our gender roles, they change. They've changed over the centuries. Nobody's, I don't think anybody is over 100 years old, but in the early 1900s, blue was considered feminine and pink was masculine. Did you know that? I think if you would think of even culturally in our day to day, it just probably wouldn't be normal for a man to walk in our church or grocery stores or our house with like a skirt or a dress on. But if you consider a kilt in Scotland, I think that would be normal, right? That would be masculine. And, and that's, that's happening and shifting all the time. Um, and so what I, my heart is, is that again, we don't receive cultural or social mandates into even the church that are not Christ-like. Christ, if you think about it, Christ was often socializing and being seen with outcasts, with people that were sinners, people that that day and age culture, that culture would classify as unworthy. And so our embodiment of, the Christ, of Christ as a church has to be at that level. And so this is what Matthew 19 talks about. This is where I think uh, we can read then, because remember, in Matthew 19, he's talking about marriage, right? And he presents this higher standard of marriage. The Pharisees and the disciples saying you can't really just divorce your wife for no rhyme or reason. Uh, the reason why he's pressing on that is because that was so rampant. Like, that was happening all the time. Even with the law, the Pharisees, like, they were doing it all the time. And the standard that he presents is so irritating. You can leave that up, guys. That's fine. It, it's so irritating to the Pharisees and disciples that they essentially concede. And so Jesus enters into the conversation a eunuch. And he doesn't just bring the eunuch into the conversation, but he says that a eunuch can take part in the kingdom of heaven. And it reads, okay, this is Jesus' reply. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those who it has been given. So basically, no, nobody can accomplish this higher level of either marry till we die or singleness. And he says, for there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So we see that he elevates the position of a eunuch, this singleness position, and he does so in contrast to the Jewish and Roman culture. The Jewish, both in Jewish and Roman culture, it was the pinnacle of manhood to get married and have a whole bunch of kids. If you didn't have a whole bunch of kids, there was, there was a question against your, your manliness in a say. And so the fact that Jesus brings the eunuch into a conversation essentially slaps in the face the culture of that day and age. Because we know that a eunuch, he was a man, a man, um, that did not have the physical capabilities of having children. Essentially, his um, genitals would be trapped off. 
um, if it was, you know, you're a eunuch because somebody has made you a eunuch. Um, but there was also this idea that even in the Jewish culture, a eunuch wasn't even considered part of the family, right? So again, remember, he's talking to Jewish boys. Jewish boys know the Torah. They know the law. And in Deuteronomy, there is a whole section of those that cannot be considered a part of the assembly of God, that cannot be a part. And a eunuch is one of them. In Deuteronomy 23.1, he says, He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. And so using the eunuch as an example of someone who can just bypass this higher standard of, ma uh, of marriage by choosing to be eunuch or being forced to be made a eunuch, he's, he's not just adding them into the conversation, but he's saying that they can be used by, the by, by God. He can be used in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so it confronts cultural and social gender norms of the day. And I would, and I would, I would say that there are some confronts to even our, our cultural and social gender norms in scripture, that if you read scripture, you would probably, maybe would feel a little bit uncomfortable as a man or even, well, probably feel encouraged by women because what I'll read you. But I think there, I think, I'm gonna share some with you and I think you might be surprised on how confrontational these scriptures are to, to our idea of man and woman, okay? So for men, in Genesis 33, 4, and there's quite a bit of scripture, so if you want to write them down and read them for yourself, check my work, check my work, okay? <laughs> Genesis 33, 4, it says, it shows us, it doesn't say because I'm not going to read them, but it shows us that men can cry and they can friendly kiss other men. You can also read that in 1 Samuel 10, 1. In Psalms, the whole book shows how deeply emotional men can be. King David he shows us how relational they can be. Men, you should go to men rally, men's rally this Friday and get a little bit more relational. Nice little plug there. But if you read any part of King David's story with Jonathan, as well as in 1 Samuel 18, you will read how deeply emotional men can be. Men are also called to be kind and tenderhearted. Ephesians 4.32, they're called to be peacemakers. Proverbs and Matthew 5.9, to turn the other cheek. Matthew 5.39, to love and not kill their enemies, but to pray for them, Matthew 5.44, to weep with those who weep, Romans 12.15, to be sensitive, Ephesians 4.2, and to raise and to teach children, Ephesians 6.4. What about biblical women? Biblical women, we see, they often fight and win battles, as in Deborah, Judges 4, sometimes even smashing tent pegs into men's school. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine doing that, but a, a woman has done that in, the, in Scripture. Judges 4.21 is where you can read that. <laughs> we see unmarried businesswomen like Lydia in Acts 16 who helps start a church. Fearless women who stayed at the cross when most of the disciples had, had scattered, John 19.25. We see successful businesswomen include funding Jesus' ministry. And even the Proverbs 31 woman, she's both homemaker and entrepreneur. And let me ask you this. The fruits of the Spirit. Which one's male? What's one female? I think if we really sat back and looked, we might, we might see that we might have some ideas on, oh, that one's for that person, that one's for me. 
Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God commands all of us, male and female alike, to honor and to mirror his son, Jesus. To mirror his truth and his grace. I believe our sex should determine our gender, but the reality is the further away we get from creation in time, there will be yet more brokenness, there will be yet more dysfunction, there will be confusion, there will be chaos. But thank God for the church. Thank God for the church that refuses to allow culture to define our differences. But it allows real people with real struggles and real brokenness, a chance to meet their healer, their maker, their savior. I think I'm only crying because keys started. I blame it on the keys. No, my heart breaks for people who are truly struggling with this, and the church has gotten so hard-hearted. Jesus calls for godliness. He does not call for social or cultural masculinity or femininity. If you're a female who enjoys drinking beers and watching football games, doesn't like wearing a dress, all the feminine things, you are no less a woman. If you're a man who would prefer softer clothing and a salad, you are, no less than, you are no less than a man. Do gender norms and roles change? Yes, they do, and that is okay. It is okay. But our call to be the church, to be the full representation of Christ does not ever change. And I'm gonna ask you to stand with me this morning as I read this last scripture, because again, my heart, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't just the keys. My heart does break for people who do struggle with this. And um, in a way, the closed offness that the church has portrayed uh, to include people. And I want to read this last scripture over you. And it's First Timothy 2, 1 through 4. And it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority, we often use these about talking about praying for our president and our authority, and I do believe we need to do that, but it says all people. That we, that we may live in peace and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. That is, good and, that is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. And again, my heart breaks at the idea that people people our Lord died for are either indirectly and sometimes directly outcasted from the only relationship and institution able to save them, to heal them, to restore them back to the life and the purposes of their creator. We have the truth. We have the healing power of the Holy Spirit. We have Christ in us and Christ didn't just carry truth. He is the essence of truth. He is the fulfillment of the law. And accepting people doesn't mean that we believe that those people, that anybody has a perfect and flawless view of God, humanity, or themselves. 
Christian, has, Christian acceptance has always been and will always be an acceptance into a flawed community. Yeah. Yeah. A, a flawed community that seeks holiness and repentance. Yeah. Our darkness is no other shade. It is all the same. And anyone struggling with gender dysphoria, with confusion, with um, abnormalities, they have the same invitation we did to receive Lord as, as their savior. And so my question is, are we giving them a chance? Jesus has called us to even love our enemies. Why wouldn't he call us to love those that are maybe different from us? And so I pray that, um, essentially that this isn't a message, let's just be weak on truth, let's just not talk about truth. No, there is a truth to it. There is a truth to it. But we can't make blanket statements and not have real conversations with real people and think that we're doing the church or Christ any favor. Christ is patient. And if that means we need to walk the journey with somebody for the rest of their lives, God, let it be so. And so my prayer for you today is that our church would embody the truth and the love of Christ as we go out into the world, as we encounter people, because guys, people, this is, this is existing in our world today. There are people in our community currently struggling with things in this area. There are people that God has been knocking on their hearts. And I want our people, I want this church to be a house that shares the truth and shares the love, no matter anyone's past. Praise God. He's done it in me. Praise God. He, he's washed me and he continues to wash me, he will wash me tomorrow, okay? And so I wanna pray for you today, and I, and I pray that you've received it in the heart that I've had. And so Father, I thank you for my city church, I thank you for your scripture, for your word that, that splits between bone and marrow. I thank you, Father, for your spirit that is upon us. Lord God, I pray that your word would continue to transform us. Use us today, Lord God, if. If there is somebody in our midst, Lord God, that is struggling with any area of sin, if any, if any brokenness, Lord God, I pray that you would use us, use us, Lord God, to be your beacon of light, of restoration, to be you, Lord God. May we search the scriptures and not miss Christ. Lord God, may we see you, and as we see you, Lord, may we continue to be transformed into your likeness and into who you desire on this earth. Would God continue to be with our church? We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. 
We'll see you next week. God bless.